Good afternoon and welcome. My name is Leslie Johnson. I am the president-elect of City Club. Thank you for joining us today for a discussion about the roles we can all play in building an inclusive economy in Oregon. I am here to make introductions and deliver a few notes before we begin our program. First, we want to collectively acknowledge that the land we are on is native land and was stolen from people who lived here for thousands of years before us. Here in the Portland region, we are acknowledging the territory of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Tualatin, Kalapuya and Malala, the Wasco and Kalats, and other indigenous people, all of whom have known the power and beauty of the Columbia and Willamette rivers, have lived here, raised families, and built communities and traditions that continue. Together, we recognize their unbreakable connections to this land, and we honor the resilience of their ancestors and the hope of future generations. About today's program, until recently, we in Portland and Oregon have been enjoying a mostly flattering, if quirky, reputation in the media and some amazing economic and cultural growth. How are we feeling now, though, from all our various viewpoints and lived experiences about the news coverage and opinion pieces declaring the decline and eventual demise of Portland. Downtown is a mess in many senses of the world, word, and the pandemic limits our resources and abilities to safely clean up and restore public services and economic life. Our guests are here to tell you that this place we love is not dead. In fact, it could be on the verge of vital and much needed transformation. But that transformation will only be possible if we rebuild equitably. This discussion will be a unique, but we hope more and more frequent opportunity to hear from leaders who know best of the hard realities many communities face now more than ever. And as you'll see today, they have a vision for what we can become. For too long, we have been growing an economy that benefits fewer and fewer people. Today, we're going to talk about how business owners and the community at large can help us build an inclusive economy, a truly inclusive economy that creates opportunity across Oregon. From me, two more notes, and then we'll get the conversation started. If you have questions for our speakers, you can either post them to Twitter using the hashtag state of the possible or email us at questions at pdxcityclub.org. I want to thank our season sponsors, Chevron, The Standard, and Wells Fargo for making our State of the Possible series possible. I'd also like to thank our supporting sponsors, Kaiser Permanente and Torp, and our partners at Pamplin Media, X-Ray.fm, and Merge Design. If you've ever uh, been unable to watch our forums, you can listen to the live events via X-Ray stations, including 91.1 FM and 107.1 FM. And a very big thank you and shout out to Caitlin Baggett Davis for producing today's event and for the work of our programming committee on this series as a whole. Finally, it is my great pleasure to welcome Nakenge Harmon Johnson, President of the Urban League of Portland. Nakenge will moderate today's conversation. Our panelists are Ashley Henry with Business for a Better Portland, Andrew Hone with Portland Business Alliance, 
Jan Mason with the Philippine American Chamber of Commerce, James Parker with the Native American Chamber of Commerce, and Orlando Williams with the Black American Chamber of Commerce. Thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for that introduction and for giving us information about City Club. Uh, I am Nikenge Harmon Johnson. I'm the Chief Executive of the Urban League, uh, and I'm delighted to be here. Um, I think it's sort of an annual tradition for me to join you on the City Club stage, um, either speaking directly um, about my work or talking about issues that confront us as a, a city um, and as a region. So I'm delighted to be back with you today and with this outstanding panel uh, to talk about what we're facing now and what we'd like to build for the future. So we'll jump right into it. Uh, you heard that we would like to hear from you on Twitter. Uh, so please um, uh, don't hesitate to reach out um, on social media so we can hear um, what your questions are, what your thoughts are, and we'll be able to share some of those later in the program. Okay, y'all, you know we're also in a tech space, um, so if there are any glitches, little audio goes out, the video gets slow, don't worry about it. We're still here for each other, so please enjoy today's program and know that we are honored by your presence. Uh, let's get started, y'all. I want to talk first um, about in your take on the state of our economy uh, broadly, um, that both as a city um, and as the state of Oregon. Um, I will, but before I ask you to, to answer, I will say that I am always fascinated um, by the different views um, Oregonians have, be they business leaders, uh, be they uh, employers, be they folks who are just starting out, be folks who've been um, uh, in industry for a long time. It's fascinating to me to hear the breadth uh, of opinions about the state of Oregon's economy and our climate for business. So I'm looking forward to hearing from each of you um, what your take is on the state of Oregon's economy right now and uh, how you think our business community uh, is doing. Uh, I'm gonna start with you, Ashley Henry, if you would, please. Oh, sure, thanks, Nkenge. Uh, nice to see you and good to be here with my colleagues. Um, and thanks for the opportunity, City Club. Uh, I, would, I would say that the state of the economy is uh, um, certainly one of a, we're experiencing a K-shaped recovery at the moment. And I often say that our membership at Business for a Better Portland really in many ways embodies that K-shaped recovery where we have um, quite a number of our members are doing fine. They're doing well, you know, and some, some have even experienced what I learned late last year were called COVID tailwinds. Um, for those on the downward slope of the K-shaped recovery who are unable to open their businesses or uh, are experiencing uh, reduced capacity in their restaurants or only serving uh, outside, uh, retail businesses that are struggling. Those on the downside of the K-shaped recovery are are obviously very uh, in, in di very dire circumstances, and we've been um, quite active in uh, working on economic recovery for those companies. But in many ways, what we're seeing is actually just an amplification of what we already knew was was happening, and COVID really shined a bright light on that. Uh, but we were already experiencing. Um, real deep inequities in our communities. In fact, uh, after the Great Recession, the economic recovery uh, mostly occurred on the west side of 82nd. And uh, our state economists were talking about this issue prior to COVID uh, the degree to which uh, 
communities east of 82nd had not actually experienced that growth. And so uh, this puts us in a situation of really needing to pay attention to those disparities. Thank you, Ashley, I appreciate that. Uh, Jan, I'm gonna come to you next and then to you, James. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Nikenge, and uh, thank you, City Club, for uh, being uh, invited today with my colleagues. I'm, I, I, Ashley mentioned the K economy, and uh, you know we've been hearing about this from other from economists, and I think that just highlights the segregation that there is with the different sectors and how some are thriving and some are not, and some are in really dire straits. And uh, we've talked about that as particularly for small businesses and for um, uh, folks that are in uh, different industries, particularly the service industries who have really um, ill-prepared for uh, the public health crisis and being able to pivot to service industry or curbside delivery. And I, I, I think the words that come to me is there's divergence and um, really a segregation of um, our economy. I appreciate for you. I appreciate you, Jen, for using specific language to describe the moment that we're in. I think it's important to do that. Um, James, if you would please give us your take on uh, the state of our economy and, and how business are, businesses are faring right now. Yeah, thank you, McKenge. Um, You know, I, hopefully, I'm seeing a uh, state of transition uh, for our businesses right now. Um, you know, it, it is a time to reimagine and re-envision. Um, I, you know, and this is largely due because I think. Our business community is exactly where our social, political, economic systems and institutions have designed us to be. There are less than a handful of native-owned brick-and-mortar businesses in the metro area, and probably less than 20 in the state. This is not an accident, and this is not a deficiency in ability. I'll say it again, uh, the system has been designed for this outcome. So there's a lot of political and policy repair to do. Uh, we need policy that seeks to repair the harms and trauma uh, that's been done over the last 500 years. And this policy shift needs to be informed uh, and led um, by us. Uh, and finally, you know, so many of us on this panel today serve in these advisory positions at the city level, at the state level, uh, without compensation. Uh, I think it's time that, um, you know, that we really kind of understand that we need to value the work and expertise um, and to build the trust uh, and to craft good business policy, you need to do your business in a way that actually values expertise and knowledge. Um, and lastly, I'll say is, you know, here we are at the beginning of 2021. Um, that doesn't mean we don't take stock of 2020. Um, this isn't something communities of color are just ready to put behind us. Uh, the whole notion of stand down and stand by Black people have been killed, and we have communities right here, Oregon, locally, spreading COVID. An entire generation of black and brown families die, uh, and policymakers pretend that that kind of opinion needs to be heard or has a place in, in driving our policy. And I say no, I say it does not. We need to recognize what for ignorance it is and not tolerate its presence at any decision making table. So uh, we have a lot of work in front of us, but I would say. 
James, I, I, I appreciate yeah, your perspective. Thank you for that. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to come to you on this uh, next. I'd like to get your take. Um, you lead the uh, Portland Business Alliance, so I, I expect you'll have a lot to say about the Portland area. But if you'd like to expand more about the, the state of business um, in Oregon, I'd love to hear it. And then, Orlando, I'll come to you for perspective from the um, Black Chamber of Commerce. Thank you. And uh, just to City Club and our moderator and to our panelists, it's a pleasure to be here and part of this important conversation, which, uh, as Leslie said at the beginning, shouldn't be a one-time only conversation, uh, but the beginning of one. Uh, and so if you ask the question about the state of the economy, I think it's important to note, what was it like one year ago? Where were we one year ago today? So if you can transport yourself back in time, this economy, the, the Portland economy, the regional economy, the national economy had been experiencing 126 consecutive months of economic expansion. Our region had outpaced the national growth rate of GDP across the country, and our population was growing. We were expanding the job space. We're on pace to add a sixth congressional district. A lot of overall positives. Uh, and then COVID hit, which no one could have predicted. And we made a very distinct choice to prioritize public health, but it had consequences across the economy. And across our nation, quarter two of last year saw the single largest decline in gross domestic product in our nation since we tracked it. Uh, regionally, Oregon saw a nearly 15% decline in employment. And since that point in time, we've recovered only around 40% of those jobs. This has unquestionably saved lives. So there's, this was the right choice to make. But beyond this, we faced additional headwinds that we cannot fail to acknowledge, which is historic wildfires, political violence, and a failure to address what all of our colleagues on the panel here have said, which is in establishing a durable change in our nation and our region for black communities. So presently we're in stasis as the jobs recovery has stalled since November, more people are on unemployment here in Oregon. And it has become more costly to do business in the state. Prior to 2018, our state and our region were the 40th lowest in business taxes. Since then, we've ascended to the 19th highest. So when you ask the question, how is the state of the economy and the business community, it's challenged like never before. We are battered, but clearly we are not broken. And we are at a... I consider this to be an X recovery. We're at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads to make the decisions to rebuild in a more inclusive way. And this is the calling for our generation. And it's incumbent on all of us to lead with race in this conversation. And we at the Alliance are exuberant about that opportunity. You've already made my day. This is, a, this is already a good event. It's nice to hear that the... Um, uh, the Portland Business Alliance is exuberant about that opportunity. So thank you for sharing that, Andrew. I appreciate you. Um, uh, Orlando, I'll be coming to you next. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to, um, this is this is the one question, y'all, by the way, that I wanted to ask all of you. Um, you're always welcome to chime in as I, as I go forward, but we won't do necessarily do the same round robin. But I think it's important to set this foundation for the conversation that we're having today. Uh, and Orlando, you know, I run the Urban League. Our mission is to help Black people thrive in this region. We've been doing it for 75 years at the Urban League. Um, and uh, there have been uh, different iterations of the of Black Chambers of Commerce. Um, all of them have been important. Uh, so I'm really delighted to see um, the Chamber um, is running strong. 
Um, my question for you um, is, how do you see the landscape um, for business? Uh, and that includes Black business owners, of course, both in Portland and around the state. Um, and I you know, think it deserves special consideration con because of the fact uh, Black folks have been facing you know, dual pandemics. Right. There's the pandemic of racial injustice and police violence and certainly the COVID-19 pandemic that has hit uh, the black community um, harder than most. Um, so if you would, please give us your take. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you and Kinge uh, and uh, to the City Club. It's an honor to be here today and share in, on these important issues. Uh, clearly, we are in an epoch of time that is unprecedented, and all of those things exponentially impact black and brown people uh, in our in our world and in our region. Uh, and I want to remind everyone that that the Portland metro region is is a microcosm of the macro of what we see around the country. And black business in Oregon uh, suffers as much or even more so than we see around other places in our region. And one of the things that I would that I would call out is that while we might see some of our sectors thriving and some of our businesses thriving, as it was stated, um, that is true. Um, but many of those businesses were properly capitalized. Uh, they had the ability to weather certain, uh, the initial stages of COVID and the wildfires. And because of that capitalization, not only were they able to survive, but they were able to take advantage of some of those areas um, that may other undercapitalized or underfunded businesses, which many of them are black, are not able to take advantage of. And I would also want to point out that and when you look at the economic environment within Oregon in our region, some of our fastest growing jobs are not in pace with the economic innovation that is happening in technology. So some of our fasting jobs are, are things like home healthcare workers, uh, mechanics, uh, physical therapists. And if we're just candid, many of black and brown people occupy those spaces and they occupy those careers. Well, if innovation is outpacing that in the macro, where we're starting to see our, our companies become more innovative, um, it is projected to see that by 2030, we'll see a lot of those jobs either go away or be transformed into something different. That is a significant risk to black business because we also as businesses occupy those spaces. We do run the food service places. We run the, the restaurants, we run the nail salons. Um, and unfortunately, those are places that were hit hardest by this pandemic. So what we look at economically is how do we, one, build in a place where black businesses can find the funding so that we can expand is not to diminish those sectors, but to expand in areas of technology and areas of innovation so that we can have more of an impact on our economies. And then that we can also support the education that is necessary for black businesses to thrive in downturns and also uh, in, in uh, growing economic environments. When Andrew was calling out some of those significant numbers that we saw before the pandemic, it, 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 it's a great thing to see that, but it reminds me of some of the economic policies of the past where we saw some of our economic leaders talk about the invisible hand and how the invisible hand of economic growth would influence black and brown business because if white business and other businesses were doing well, then inevitably by default, black business would do well. And that's just simply not the case. We have to be, be specific. We have to have specific programs that will support black business in periods of growth 
and 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 expansion, but also in times of downturn and when things become difficult. Thank you, Orlando. Uh, Y'all, I'm going to ask you to, uh, so we talked about what what is, how things look right now. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about what you think we'll be facing 10, 20, and 50 years from now. I want to see some, uh, a longer term view, at least your opinion of what we'll look like um, decades from now in terms of our economy in the state and in the city. Um, While you have a chance to think about that question, I want to share something with you. So uh, every year that we're able, um, the Urban League of Portland participates in the Pendleton Roundup. Uh, we are there at the Westward Ho Parade. Uh, we've got our own buggy, uh, or rather uh, volunteers come and they bring their antique buggies from Idaho, from Washington State, from other parts of Oregon. Uh, and so we can always uh, jump on back of someone's buggy. No, the Urban League does not own its, own its own buggy. Let me be clear. Um, nor could I drive one if we did. Uh, but we'll hop on and uh, someone will be nice enough to, uh, to show us the ropes. You don't have many chances to drive an antique buggy around these days. So it's a good time for everyone who participates in the parade. And I get a chance to meet um, usually the business owners who are volunteering to drive those buggies. Some of them are farmers. Um, they have uh, some of them are in other agricultural businesses. Uh, but I remember clearly on one occasion meeting someone from uh, from Eastern Oregon. Um, and he was telling me about his business and he was talking about how it's important that, um, you know, people listen to each other across um, uh, uh, races, across religion, across uh, different age groups. He was very uh, clear about that. And he was explaining to me what he does for a living. And he had a hay rental business. He grew hay and then he would rent out bundles of hay. I was immediately fascinated by this. Um, Who would you rent hay to? Uh, To hotels, to shopping malls, to other venues that were hosting rustic scenes for Halloween or for uh, Thanksgiving, or they were having a hoedown type of celebration. I thought it was brilliant, first of all. Uh, but he told me about how he was a fifth generation Oregonian and how his uh, even his parents had grown up in a household um, that didn't have running water. And just explaining to me how, you know, we're, we're all in this together and face the same challenges. His bottom line that he eventually got to, and you'll forgive me uh, uh, for going on a bit, was that he faces the same challenges that Black business owners face and d- doesn't really understand why there would be a need for something like the Urban League or be a need for something like um, uh, the, or, the, the Black Chamber. Um, and he asked, started asking me about the Urban League. Very quickly, I told him that, you know, the Urban League has a payroll too. Uh, the Urban League has a staff and has to train and recruit too. And oh, by the way, while you are five generations deep in your history in this state, I just got here, right? Um, I'm from here. My parents came to the state, um, uh, they, but they weren't born here. But my great-great-grandparents weren't allowed to be here. So uh, the wealth that he is able to produce for his family is created from land that his family has owned for generations now. And he's got this great business that is uh, taken off like gangbusters and he was considering expanding. But in his mind, he was thinking, you know, I started out with parents who had nothing. I, on the other hand, both of my parents are college graduates, right? Graduate degrees, the whole nine. But they didn't start out with a whole bunch of land under them. So the advantage that I have, and I know that I have some, are different. And we engaged in that conversation for a little bit before the parade started and then we got down to having fun. I share that with you because it's important, I think, for people to understand the context that has led to this present. And James, you talked about the history um, and how there have been things that have been put in place that were purposeful to make it difficult for uh, Native American business owners to own businesses, that make it difficult um, for businesses to thrive. I want to hear now what you think we'll see 10, 20, 50 years from now. 
uh, and maybe a little bit about how you think we'll get there to make our future uh, be different than our past. Uh, Orlando, I'm going to start with you and then whoever wants to jump in. Uh, I think James, maybe you should go second, but after that, I'll let you guys uh, uh, jump in, okay? Thank you, Nkenge. Orlando. Uh, love, I love the, I love the, the story that you shared. That, that is representative of the experience that many have and that, that dissonance of trying to understand what the challenges are for, for Black business. So, you know, 10, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, uh, that puts us at about 2030 uh, and then beyond. Uh, what I would love to see is a shift in the thinking and how we approach the issues of economic development in our region. The traditional attraction, retention um, is, is probably not going to be the solution that we're gonna need long-term. Uh, we're gonna need development internally. Uh, and, and also, I think we have a, an approach in Oregon and our region that focuses heavily on phil philanthropic efforts that drive uh, support for black communities. What we actually want to see is a sustainable, self-sustainable internal growth within black communities for businesses that can sustain themselves. So in that period of time, as we see the transitions in our economy and we begin to see technologies change, we're talking about workforces that are gonna shift, be displaced, and we're gonna witness probably one of the largest displacements of industrialized labor that we've seen in the history of our country. And as a result of that, in our local market, what are we gonna do with that labor force? What are we gonna do with that transition? So I would think that in, in 20 years, in 2030, we will have developed an internal talent development system within our region that invests in talent, invests in black and brown people, that we can create those types of skills that are going to be uh, enabled to work within those growing sectors. The second thing that I would like to see is that the businesses that are established in King Gay, the ones that you talked about that have been around because of ancestral um, uh, passing on of wealth and generational wealth would begin to do business with black business. They would begin to engage black business and also be more intentional, intentional about how they spend money with black businesses. It's one thing to support and write a check for a philanthropic effort. It's a completely other thing to actually engage in partnership sign an agreement and be intentional about doing business with those organizations and helping them grow. That's what I would hope to see in the next 10 to 20 and maybe beyond. Yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in to Kenge. I think that's uh, really a fantastic story and really kind of sets exactly what we talk about when we talk about uh, dispossession of land, when we talk about transfer uh, of ownership and, and wealth um, that's kind of created the conditions that we see today. Um, so how do we look forward? And, uh, you know, I, and I appreciate City Club hosting this. This is the forward thinking forum uh, where we can kind of um, share these ideas and, and, and concepts. And, you know, what I can tell you uh, right away, though, is that everything that's needed to be said on this has been said throughout our short collective American history. There have been brilliant intellectuals and, and common um, folks that understand uh, what these barriers have been, and, and and they're not new, right? And and so I do appreciate uh, that we're discussing them at this kind of time of uh, transition and, and turmoil, um, because that's that's kind of the seeds of change, right? 
Um, and so that's what we hope this continues to be. Um, so, you know, what, what, when I look kind of look forward, um, I, I think it's tied exactly to your story is I'd like to see a shift of ownership, right? Of intellectual and physical property, um, of land ownership. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that I'd also like to see is, is no longer centering our economic activities um, kind of on a service economy or an extraction and, and kind of violence against our ecology economy. I want to see something that's sustainable, right? And not sustainable for the land, sustainable for um, us as, uh, as communities and, and community members. Um, and, and, you know, I want to see it kind of be built around regional economic ecosystems that are grounded in those sustainable practices. And, and, and for ONAC, it's kind of really rooted in the tribal and native communities that, that have called this land home um, for, for, uh, for, for eons, right? Um, and, and, and one of the clues for us is, is looking back at pre-contact for our, our metrics and understanding. Um, there were centers of trade and commerce and education uh, that allowed for prosperity for all our community members. Um, you know, before 1491, uh, we weren't homeless. We weren't hungry. Uh, we had access to culturally responsive education. So we have a model that we know works, right? It's how do we extrapolate that model into what, um, where we're living now? Um, so it's really kind of an idea of recreating um, existing systems um, that serve uh, community need. Um, and kind of from a city and I guess larger state um, ideas is we need to invest um, how we invest it needs to be small. It needs to be hyper-local. Um, you know, one of the things we know about the larger the business, uh, the more potential to be extracted, exploitive, uh, racist, sexist, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. um, they're removed from community accountability, right? Uh, different motives. Uh, small, mm -hmm. small businesses are embedded in community and, and care about community growth and wages um, and and uh, so there's that accountability there that we don't see with the larger businesses. Um, you know, they tend to take care of their employees better and um, are stronger economic drivers and anchors, really, uh, that can kind of drive economies uh, uh, to, to a greater scale. Um, you know, so honestly, I, I think what we talked about is, is um, how do we build up um, um, our small businesses, not only just for kind of uh, employment, but really wealth generation for our communities of color. And that's one of the strongest uh, drivers of that. So. James, I really appreciate those examples. Thank you. Um, you know, it, it, you, it made me think of when the business owner and his employees shop at the same grocery store, there, there's a certain kind of community, right, in, investment there. When the, uh, the boss and the uh, employees, when their kids go to the same school, we're likely to have some better outcomes there uh, for all kids, right? Um, and that's not the kind of economy that um, that we have right now. So it is, it's interesting to think about the fact that we have models for what works um, and we can uh, look to those um, for what's next. I appreciate that. Anyone else want to jump in on this question about what you uh, want to see 10, 15, 50 years from now? Uh, Ashley Henry, please go ahead. Thanks, Nkenge. Uh, you know, I, I actually think that uh, what we see in 10 or 20 or 50 years is really going to depend on whether or not we use the opportunity that we've been given uh, by COVID. It, it certainly has demonstrated to us uh, where we were headed and, and has laid bare the inequities that we knew existed but are even more apparent now. And um, we don't need to 
try to get back to normal, what we need to do is, is try to address those, those inequities that were there. And, um, and one of uh, my friends and a member and a member of Andrews, Orlando Simpson, uh, so eloquently said, you know, we will find out when, when the policy changes start happening, we will find out how much black lives actually matter. And there are some incredible opportunities ahead with city council and the Oregon legislature uh, to address a number of the challenges uh, that have been raised on this uh, presentation today uh, that can be addressed through policy changes, uh, such as uh, expanding access to capital for uh, black owned businesses, for rural communities that have historically not been able to access the banking system. Uh, that is, uh, I think, if we can get those policy changes, um, we can begin to make a shift. So make a, a concerted effort, as Orlando said, to to purchase from those companies, uh, put in purchasing goals uh, so that we are directing our business to those to those black owned uh, businesses. I'll just chime in. Um... Nikenge, if that's okay. I, I I love the comments that I'm hearing, but I, I also think about, uh, or what came to mind is um, thinking about who will be um, the workforce 20 years from now. And so I'm thinking about the folks that are in school age, uh, in schools right now, the, the younger students. And, and so I feel like our generation um, or business leaders the community leaders, Governor uh, Brown and all of the elected officials have a heavy weight on their shoulders right now because we have a responsibility to position so that in 20 years, the school age children that we're uh, thinking about or talking about who we already know are diverse and um, more than half of the student body are people of color. And how do we position today so that they can thrive and we have that future that we're talking about where uh, we're leaders, Oregon becomes a state in leadering, uh, leadership in social governance, in uh, responsibility, accountability, and really demonstrate um, this uh, accountability even in um, our environment. And we pride ourselves in loving nature here in Oregon. And in order to do that, we have to take care of our people. And Thank you for that, Jan. If you might, I just want to add to this piece here um, deeply about where do we see ourselves in 10 to 20 years. I, I think we must be hyper-focused on outcomes and outcomes that change uh, the data that we know. And what we know in our region is that Black households, median households, their income is 46000 White households are at 78000 That's the median. So that is the average experience. And when we look down the road, what do we see in 10 to 20 years? Durable economic change is the elimination of that disparity. When we can hold that number up and say that that delta has closed between those two experiences. So we can, we know this, we need to embed the outcome in our policies and those policies need to be driven by data. And so I have to highlight that because I think we need to walk away from the vision and focus on the concrete actions that we take to close that gap. And 
Uh, recently, we were extremely privileged to participate in a public-private partnership between the county and our organization to provide CARES Act funding in East County uh, to the four municipalities and unincorporated. And just really interesting data came out of that experience. And we made 421 business awards in East County to businesses under $2 million. And uh, I suppose not surprisingly, but half of those businesses that received that funding were minority owned. And to me, that was uh, inspiring and I'm sad in that the need is there. Inspiring in how significant the ownership of minority owned businesses that was present already. This is an organic experience that happened in East County. We need to cultivate it. We need to cultivate the fact that there is growth in minority owned businesses in our region here. And to incubate and foster that growth is a priority for all of us, because if you subdivide this county that we're standing in today, the east side of it, east of 205, is one of the poorest in the state, and west is one of the wealthiest. So it's the story and the opportunity that is incumbent on all of us. And so I would call that out as a significant focus on what we need to do and how we change the entire dynamic of our region in 10 years from now and what we can look back on celebrate together. Thank you, Andrew. Now we're getting if questions I could just in. tag on. Go ahead, Sorry, I just want to tag one quick thought. I loved what you um, shared, Andrew, and that's uh, really so important to understand that businesses owned by um, uh, minority and business owners are really important. Uh, it, there's already been so many studies that our GDP would grow by $8 trillion. Um, by, uh, President Biden spoke about it in his executive order is $5 trillion five years our GDP could grow. So there is already a business case for a racial equity. And so um, I think all of us share that, that that is a commitment we should all buy into and um, look to making these outcomes real. Thanks, Jan. Uh, we're getting questions in from uh, folks on Facebook and on Twitter. Please feel free to keep sending those. You're also welcome to send your questions by email. Um, so I wanna make sure that we start getting to some of those. Uh, I'm gonna jump right into what uh, many people are hoping that we'll talk about today. Um, downtown Portland. Uh, there are businesses that are boarded up. Some businesses have closed. There's graffiti in different places downtown. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate. Um, it's especially unfortunate that some businesses have not been able to, to stay open um, in large part because of the pandemic, right? So uh, there aren't consumers downtown. There aren't business people, uh, employees, staff, uh, students uh, traveling through downtown who um, would be customers for many of those businesses. Um, in addition to that, of course, um, we've had uh, months and months um, of protests and demonstrations in downtown Portland. Uh, some of those demonstrations have made people feel as though they didn't want to continue operating their business or that they felt they weren't able to continue operating their businesses. Um, and graffiti keeps coming up. Listen, I'm not interested in talking about graffiti and its scourge on our city. Uh, I get it. It's not pleasant. Um, I also uh, lead a business in this community and had to deal with graffiti several times a year on vehicles and buildings long before the pandemic started and long before there was unrest in our downtown. Um, I find it interesting, though, that our uh, political leaders have a lot to say about damage and uh, trash and graffiti in downtown Portland. I don't recall having those conversations uh, in North Portland or East County um, or other parts of the city that have been facing, you know, uh, 
ongoing concerns for decades, shall we say. So it matters, but what's interesting to me about this moment is now it matters for everyone. Big businesses downtown can have the same conversation that mom and pop corner stores are having uh, as um, brand new businesses are having as they're trying to get started about being able to secure their premises and to secure their employees, to secure their investments. Now we're all in that conversation together. That's what's interesting to me about graffiti um, because it's a unifying moment that we can stand up against it uh, and uh, for the good of us all. Um, but we've got a question here about, um, someone says it's embarrassing. Uh, someone else is asking, you know, what can people do to help support businesses um, other than continuing to buy from them? Are there other things that people can do to help our um, our business sector uh, in, in Portland thrive? Um, and ideas Kenge, about that, y'all? And Kenge, this is uh, one of the interpreters. The interpreter is not on screen. Oh, thank you for that. I, I, we, our interpreter was not on screen for a moment, so um, I apologize for that. Um, I want to just repeat part of this. I, I'm happy to repeat the question. I want to make sure that it's accessible to all of our viewers. Um, so there's, and I, and I will make it shorter. <laughs> uh, there are many folks who are concerned about what they, uh, about some of the damage that's happened in our downtown area, about some of the businesses that are um, boarded up and those who've gone out of business because of uh, COVID or because they felt that they couldn't continue to operate while the protests um, were at their peak. Um, there are others of us though, who've been operating businesses for some time that have had to confront some of the same challenges that downtown business owners are now uh, are facing, whether it's graffiti, damage, um, other things to, to vehicles and businesses. So I'm not interested in talking about the graffiti itself, um, uh, but we don't have time for that in this, in this session. Uh, I think that it pro creates a moment for us, um, downtown businesses, North Portland businesses, East County businesses, new, old, large, small, to engage in this conversation now that we can all see these problems clearly and now that they're all they're affecting all of us. Um, I would like to hear um, your take on how people uh, can, or rather this questioner would like to hear your take on how uh, folks can continue to support businesses um, in our community during the pandemic, uh, during uh, periods of protest, um, and what are some of the best things people can do um, in addition to continuing to be, uh, to be consumers? Are there other things that you would like folks to weigh in on, other things that you would like people to do um, to support your members? Andrew, I'm gonna start with you. <laughs> Thank you. It's front of mind. And I actually really appreciate the way you framed it. And, uh, you know, we are all, it is all necessary to have a, a clean environment that goes without saying graffiti. Um, we can get over that. Uh, what I think is the bigger issue that we need to confront as a region, and, and it is, it is in all of us uh, being responsible for this solution, is that we have become a target for political violence. Protests are welcomed. Uh, expression uh, is important. It is the way of, it's the Portland way. Uh, but what has happened is whether white supremacists or right-wing demonstrators or those that commit political violence or left, it does not matter. Uh, it has been a situation where political violence uh, has marred our city. And that's unacceptable by any standards. And no matter what expression, what side of the equation you're on, uh, it needs to stop because it has been chilling to our democratic institutions. In fact, those uh, elected officials, businesses uh, are feeling the threat of commerce and the ability to express themselves because of the threats of physical violence, which we saw really in full display in our capital this year uh, in a really sad way. Uh, so I think really the question to all of us is how to end political violence. 
and how to express ourselves peacefully. And I think that's important. And that's a, that's a basic common sense respect issue. Uh, and I think the reality is how do you turn the quarter? We, we challenge people to be here for Portland. Uh, one of the things that was enacted was a uh, public-private partnership, again, uh, with our public officials about being here for Portland, about respecting your neighborhood, about respecting your business community, uh, and being able to support and shop small. And so we encourage people to go to hereforportland.com to look at ways to be able to support their community and to put their civic activism to, to a productive use and to end the political violence uh, that has really destroyed our ability to come together as a region. And that, for us, those that serve downtown in a very serious way is something that we do need to solve. Thank you, Andrew. Ashley, I saw your face light up a little bit. Do you wanna jump in on this one? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Andrew um, about uh, the need for political violence to end, absolutely. And I think that uh, goes for political violence of all kinds. Um, I, I do think that when we think about uh, what it means to be here for Portland, we need to think beyond just consumer uh, initiatives and actually think about the underlying policies that support those small businesses. So for example, uh, addressing the issues around protecting commercial tenants uh, from eviction, uh, those small shops that we love uh, are be months behind on their rent. Uh, a really having a conversation with the banking community uh, about their uh, approach to how they're um, engaging with the small landlords in our community. Many of those small landlords are our neighbors uh, and our philanthropists, and we want to ensure that we have a policy system, uh, uh, and this is definitely going to be a big issue in the legislative session. And so when we want to be here for Portland, we have to think beyond just consumer campaigns and really look to those underlying policies that will determine the viability of our commercial uh, strips, our, our, our commercial corridors that are so critical to bringing tourists back. For example, uh, they often came to Portland, not for downtown necessarily, as much as we love our downtown. Uh, they were coming for North Mississippi and Alberta and Hawthorne. And uh, those business districts are equally important and so we need to hold our elected officials accountable uh, for ensuring that when they're having meetings with the business community, that that's not just one uh, group of, of business leaders that they're meeting with. They're meeting with all of us, those of us represented here on the screen today. Uh, we need diversity of input to uh, Mayor Wheeler and uh, others who are um, uh, now on city council. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, Jan, you work with business owners uh, from across the city um, and across the state, in fact. I'd be curious to, to hear your take on this. Sure. Thank you, Nikinge. I was uh, realizing that, you know, some of our folks are not in the downtown core. They're, to, to what you were highlighting, um, they're spread across East County. Some of them are in Washington County. They're in the suburbs. Um, the ones who are in the city are in Southeast and inner Southeast. And some of the challenges uh, that they're facing um, and the support that they, they need um, is, is more of uh, in, the, in the realm of technology um, in being able to support that what their 
experiencing. Uh, the digital divide is real um, with folks not having access. And then um, quite, quite simply, um, I, I feel like uh, one thing that came to mind as others were speaking is that we have um, in this age of pandemic, we have a lot of voices speaking about these different places. And when we talk about places and talk about the city of Portland, we have our own people, community members and um, residents here in the city that are not supporting or helping um, through social media uh, and speaking about going to the businesses and supporting the, them. And um, using your voice in the social media for the positive uh, in support, telling about good experiences as opposed to um, negativity, um, I think is really important. Uh, it's about how we brand our city, how we help the businesses be able to elevate their brands. And if we're um, having these kinds of um, conversations or um, distractions, it's taking away from uh, the support of the businesses and the small businesses that we're trying to help. Thank you, Jan. Uh, I'm going to move to a different question from one of our. Ashley? I just wanted to. I just wanted to double down, if I could, on uh, Jan's. Uh, recommendation. Um, you know, a number of stories that are coming out in the national media about the demise of Portland have actually been encouraged by people in Portland who are seeking this kind of media coverage. Um, and I think it's just really unfortunate uh, that we can't find ways to acknowledge our differences and work together with our elected officials to address the challenges rather than um, having a paid PR campaign to uh, get people's attention. So I really hope that we can put an end to that. Thanks for that, Ashley. I appreciate you. Uh, okay. James, I, I think you want to you jump in on this. Let me ask this question, and, I, and, and if you want to answer the one I'm asking now, that's fine. If you want to address this one, I'm okay with that too. But something tells me this might tie in a bit um, from one of, uh, one of our participants today. Um, the question relates to the fact that Portland is the economic hub of the state. Uh, and many people believe that as Portland goes, so goes the rest of Oregon. Uh, so what's the responsibility um, of the legislature during the current session to invest in Portland? Um, and they're asking also about rebuilding the downtown area. Uh, James, do you think that the legislature has a responsibility to, uh, to particularly invest in Portland as an economic driver of the state? Um, and should they pay special attention to, to downtown Portland? Or do you think that there'd be uh, a different way that resources could be used to support um, all business owners? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think largely what we're looking at is the Portland metropolitan area. I wouldn't, um, I know the previous question was focused on downtown and, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, we want business to be open and operate safely. Um, but, you know, none of our communities are, are strangers to political violence, right? So to kind of the, we're at the forefront of calling the end of political violence. We might be coming from a different point of view on that, um, but absolutely, I think we align on that. Um, what I would say is, is one of the things we need to look at is, is economies are really meant to serve our communities, right? So that it's almost like understanding what the narrative is. Is we, you know, you hear so much, you know, we need to get back to work. We need schools to open. Mm. Um, the priority is not about reopening; it's transitioning our economy. To where we are now. Um, if you want to hurry up and, mm. and, and enter that reopening phase, 
uh, we need everybody to be active participants in, in keeping everyone safe, uh, follow the best guidelines and science on this. Um, and that's going to be the best way to get our, our businesses reopened and, um, you know, kind of uh, allow us to, to interact in, in ways that uh, we have been for, for quite a while. Um, so, but to, to, to your other point, uh, Nikenge, is in terms of bringing that focus uh, to the Portland metro area, uh, to us, um, there is a great importance to that. Uh, you know, if you bear out the, the demographics, um, a lot of our communities of color live and work and play and raise their children in the Portland metropolitan re region. Um, and so when we see policies that, that skew away uh, from, from, from that responsibility of, of, of taking care of our, our citizens um, in the larger region um, for kind of um, falling into that false narrative of kind of a urban rural divide, um, I, you know, I, I think that's a, it's, a, it's a big mistake and it certainly harms our communities in powerful ways. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, th there's paths um, to engage this in, right? And, and how you do business in ways that respect and, and uphold and empowers our communities to build wealth um, and, and don't undermine that goal. Um, and one of the ways we have to do that is we have to measure our success in doing business, um, whether we're part of that problem or not. Are, 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 we, uh, are we actively working and, and, and um, collaborating with uh, minority-owned businesses? Um, do we have just one native contractor uh, or are we trying to build that into kind of our, our larger plan? Um, and so right now we kind of really should be focusing on, on the metro region um, in this recovery. So hopefully I covered that question. <laughs> you did. It worked out just the way I hoped. Thanks, James. Uh, Y'all, we have fewer than five minutes left. And for those of you who are watching at home, yes, it's after one o'clock, but we started a few minutes late. So we're going to roll over just for a couple more minutes because uh, we're having a good time. At least I am. If y'all need to go, see ya. Um, and thank you for joining us. Uh, <laughs> well, we've got this this last just a few minutes, though. Um, Y'all, what do you think? Um, people are, have posed questions here about um, whether companies in our region are committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, whether that means on the hiring side, whether that means recruiting and retaining executive leaders, um, and whether it means uh, creating a, a pipeline um, or working with vendors um, that come from diverse communities that you know some of you have suggested today. Uh, we've seen a lot of companies make a lot of statements, especially with regard to their support for the movement for Black Lives. Uh, and they said, we see the light and we're gonna step up and do some things differently. Um, I certainly hope that's true. I think it's super exciting. Uh, but the question is, is asking, um, what do you think? Do you think that the organizations that are making those uh, sort of public uh, statements are gonna stick with it? Or do you think that they'll use the excuse of the pandemic or you know, um, sort of the, the, the economic challenges that we're facing to back out of it and say, well, we would work on diversity and equity, but we simply must focus on the bottom line and you know, can't, can't be bothered to do that right now. Uh, what's your take? Orlando, I'll start with you if, if that's all right. Thank you. I was hope I was hoping I could dive in immediately on this on this subject. <laughs> as, a, as a small business owner for the last twenty years, uh, practitioner in diversity, equity, inclusion, and I work with a lot of large organizations around the state on their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And I work within the C-suite, and the conversation remains the same: is that there are many who have the right rhetoric. And as we know, words can be sharp, but they're not sharp enough to cut a turkey. So the reality of it is, is that action is the driver. 
It is the outcomes that actually generates um, the activity that we want. And we cannot uh, mistake movement for action. So do I think that organizations are ready? Well, you can tell if they're ready because the employee and the readiness of those organizations will be determined by their values and their mission statements and the outcomes that come about as a result of those. Um, that not only includes the people they hire um, and bring in, but they cast wider nets they offer competitive compensation packages. They make sure that the employee resource groups within those organizations are thriving. And they fund initiatives that are in alignment with their values and alignment with the outcomes that they desire. If organizations aren't doing that, then the commitment is only rhetoric, which is empty. The other piece of that is, again, going back to an original statement that I made about how much business you do with minority, Black, Brown businesses around the region. If you're not spending with those organizations, then you're not demonstrating diversity, equity, inclusion, and wealth creation. Mm. Let's face it, in, in 1867, Black people owned less than 1% of the wealth in the country. And today, Black people own less than 1% of the wealth in the country. And that's because if we continue to have the ideas that we believe that a, a invisible hand by making platitudes and words in our statements that are gonna move the organizations forward are gonna be enough, that's not the case. What I see is an effort that has to take place where business leaders in the private sector make a coalition building and an effort to actually do that kind of work and have tangible, material, and measurable outcomes that demonstrate that they're committed to wealth creation in communities that don't look like them. Orlando, thank you very much. I know I said that I would ask others of you to answer this question, but uh, we're at time, um, for real this time. Um, and so I regret not being able to, uh, to hear more from all of you. Um, but I very much enjoyed uh, um, this panel today. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, to, to, to be your moderator. Uh, thank you to all of you who have taken the time to listen and to participate and to send in questions via social media uh, and email. We, I'm glad that we were able to get to some of them. Um, but it is all the time that we have today. So Orlando Williams, uh, James Parker, Jan Mason, Andrew Hone, Ashley Henry, uh, thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your perspectives. Uh, it's great to see you all even virtually. I look forward to a time when we can be together safely again. Uh, thank you so much, City Club, for hosting this discussion today. Uh, don't forget, y'all, you can always donate to City Club. They've been flashing it up on the screen. You can visit them online uh, to make a donation to this volunteer-led organization. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.